It's, uh, it's great to see you this morning. My name is Simon and, and I lead the site here at Bradley Stoke. Jamie and I have done a kind of uh, a handing over ceremony of, of uh, what to wear on a Sunday, if you noticed. Um, yeah, we didn't coordinate beforehand, obviously. Next time, Jamie, get that text in the morning, yeah? All right. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I wanted to say a massive thank you. This is my opportunity to say thank you for making me feel so welcome here at Bradley Stoke. I've been here a month, and in, in all the best ways, it feels like a lot longer than a month. <laughs> it honestly does. It just feels fantastic. I have so enjoyed getting to know you. Thank you for kind of welcoming us around to your house or making us a meal. The chats, the dreaming, the kind of where can we go with all that God has done already here, and, and really in, fit, in keeping with what Karen talked about in terms of the, uh, the passion to see God at work going forward to see salvation, to see a community here that genuinely makes a difference to the people who live in our local area. So we've prayed together and we're trusting that God is going to do some good things. Um, If you are new here, and I've met a few of you today who are brand new, it's fantastic to have you with with us. Do come to the desk at the end, Mick and Maggie. Maggie will look after you, as Andy said. uh, But genuinely, we want to say hi to you. We want to connect with you. And if you do feel comfortable, do fill in the, the form. Um, I do like getting in touch with people. So uh, it'll be lovely to chat with you and uh, ask, answer any questions you have about the church here and what we're doing. Um, now, I haven't actually preached that much in my life. That's the confession. Okay. I've, I've preached more in my 20s than I have done in any other age. I'm not in my 20s anymore. Um, uh, so I am looking forward to this, and I'm really trusting that God has prepared something that will genuinely help us today as a community. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we look at your word today, as we seek all that you have got for us, that God, you would open our, the eyes of our hearts to understand more and to know you better. Amen. Just some encouragement before we start. This was uh, this week. I, um, if you know, I've moved house recently. We're selling a house somewhere else, and we're buying in Bristol. And uh, on by Wednesday this week, I don't know if you. I know a couple are moving at the moment. You have the, all these legal negotiations going on, and you have a phone call, and it can shift the whole conversation one way or the other. Or you can have no conversations, and you think, "What is going on?" And this is never going to happen. Which is what I got to on Wednesday, thinking. The person who is key to this whole conversation lives in New Zealand, has to make a decision or at least respond to me, and I've had radio silence from him. So on Wednesday, I'm praying. We were at, a, at an event, and so I'm chatting with Andy, um, and I'm praying. And then we pray together, and Andy literally in mid-prayer says, God, in the next 24 hours, we pray that there will be an answer, and we pray for there to be, a, in effect, an apology of sorts for some of what's been going on because they simply have been rubbish at communicating. And so I uh, went to sleep Wednesday night, woke up Thursday morning and an email in my inbox with him giving answers to a question and apologising for the delay and all the inconveniences caused to us plus all the people that are behind me in the chain as well. And so I just want to give God glory for that because that was a moment of, of like, yes. And I hope for you, there is a week in, it's been a week in which you have lived on that edge where you've said, I'm trusting God and I'm believing him for more. You see, when I was 20... I had a big decision uh, in my life to make. I had grown up uh, in a Christian home. I was now living in Bedford at, at age 20 doing a sports degree. And I had this question, 
would I fully surrender my life to Jesus? Or would I try to live life under my terms, but under the disguise of a Christian? That was the question I was asking, asking myself at the age 20. And I had to find some answers and some truth. It was massively important. I'd grown up in a town called Redditch, which is near Birmingham, uh, about 15 miles south of Birmingham. And we'd gone along to an Anglican church as kids. And so I'd got some... The, the Nicene Creed is unbelievably good, full of truth uh, from the Anglican church. It was fantastic. But I didn't see a life or lived that made... I knew what it meant to be a Christian to follow Jesus by that point. My parents then moved to a different church. We've, we went with them. I had th- two sisters. And I found a church that talked about the Holy Spirit. And people prayed for me, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And so by the time I am 20, I'm at the point where I'm speaking in tongues. I'm trusting that, he, that, that there is power in God. But I'm still wrestling with this question about, am I going to surrender my whole life to him? It's very possible to be part of a church, to volunteer regularly, to look good on a Sunday, to give, to volunteer and everything else, but not surrender your lives and hearts to God. And the Bible talks very plainly at this point. It says you cannot serve both God and money or God and food. It makes a very big distinction. And uh, the other thing I found out about... um, church is that often you can find that there is a diet of self-help well the church was never meant to be a place of self-help we're never meant to be incrementally making ourselves better and that is the danger of not surrendering to God so I hope you don't come here for a self-help club (laughs) we come to one who is far more powerful than a self-help club but what are we called to be like in church there is a danger sometimes of a culture that means that it's hard to be real or transparent. Actually, we can't actually talk about what's really going on, our lack of godliness, or even we talk about our doubts. I mean, what is faith without doubt, ultimately? But we're not free to talk about it. And church should actually be the best place on earth to talk about faith and doubt, the battles with money or relational challenges, but we can, uh, we can get into a pattern of life, can't we, as a, as a believer or as someone who's kind of looking into becoming a follower of Christ that says that we aren't able to pursue Christ with passion. And instead we have to play a kind of play it safe version of Christianity that doesn't really put us on the edge of following him. So at 20, that was my challenge. I'd seen enough to know that I wanted to follow the Bible and have a faith adventure but I knew I had to make a big decision in my life. It needed to affect every part of my life. It needed to affect the three big ones. The money, sex, and power question. How was I going to answer those ones? But they're dominant features that kind of pervade our society. And how was I going to follow Jesus in the midst of that? Would I be able to find a way to live life differently and not conform to the patterns of life around me? And that's the challenge we all face today. We face it in our workplace. We face it in our families. We face this challenge of how to be genuinely, authentically followers of Christ and not conform to the world around us. This passage I'm going to read to you today was the central moment where it revealed to me what it meant to live life for Christ and probably is the most influential passage in my life. It's Galatians 2, 19 to 21, and it should come up on the screen. Thank you, Mark. Um, For through the law... 
This is Galatians 2, 19 to 21. This is Paul speaking. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But, the li- but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Okay, what words. The context of this passage is that Paul is writing to a church that he knows really well. He's been there a few times, he's traveled there. And obviously, as usual, he is addressing issues that have come up. Because as he knows, people are giving him some feedback and actually he's got to respond to their questions. And the law, okay, let me talk about the law to begin with and then we're going to move on to the second real main chunk, which is the grace element. But you can't get to the grace without the law. Thanks, Mark. How are we doing on there? Yeah. I often find passages about the law in the New Testament a little tricky. And I'm not the biggest Bible scholar. There are others I go to to get help. But this is what I have understood by the law. Because Paul talks about it quite often. And he talks about it in a, in a way that often feels a little bit confusing. But let's help them try and work together on understanding it. See, Paul actually appreciates the law greatly. Which sometimes does my head in a little bit. I'm thinking, actually, am I meant to appreciate the law or not meant to appreciate it? Am I meant to die to it or not die to it? There's all these confusing things about the law. Well, let's for a moment think about it in legal terms. Now, I don't think Lloyd's in the room, is he, Kate? No, our our resident lawyer is not here today, which is, I'm very, very grateful for that. (laughs) Um, But when we consider ourselves against God's law, we find that we fall very, very short. God's law where we are, reveals the difference between us. And uh, we cannot match the terms of the law. We cannot get to the terms of the law by being good or serving really well. We cannot get there. Uh, Because by nature we are sinners and need a sacrifice to make ourselves right in the eyes of the law. On our own, we simply can't do it. We can't justify ourselves. And even with a best defense lawyer, if he's in the house or not, all our best defenses, like we give away our money or we pray before we eat, we're nice people, we feed the homeless on Saturday evenings with Richard. That doesn't get you there. It doesn't make you reach the terms of the law. And even when you go down the lines of, we're better than those people that park in the disabled spots and they haven't got a badge. We're better than them. That doesn't even get you there either. Nothing gets you to the point where you, by law, are made Right. So we cannot defend ourselves of being good. And ultimately, we have the law, which has shown us and makes it clear to us that there is a legal solution required. And in Christ, there is one, the Lamb of God, there is one who categorically can act as our mediator. The one who can bridge this gap and make the difference and make us right with our Father God in heaven. So Paul in this passage is defining that through the law, I died to the law. So hold on a second. What does this law really mean? Instantly, what happens is this, is that the law reveals something to us. It shows us where we're missing. And immediately, we then move on. Because that becomes the past. The law becomes something that's got us to where we need to get it to. And now we move on. It's what Paul says is no longer of worth. 
So instantly we move on to living for God. I think of it another way. If you're a teacher or a tutor, you might think of it as like the GCSE years, if you're kind of in the British education system. There's a kind of a cap. A teacher takes you to a certain level of teaching. And uh, it instructs you, let's imagine this, this lawyer is called law, and it, it tells you what expectations are of human beings. And exposes what's right and wrong. And actually, remember it, many of the laws of our nation are based upon biblical principles. They're good things. Um, the tutor can even explain the work of Christ. However, the tutor can only take you to that level, and it stops there. It's like the GCSEs. I can't even like, tempt you with a little bit of sick form work. You know how teachers used to do that? It makes you feel great. Oh, we're doing a bit of extra, more intensive work. Well, the tutor of law, in this case, cannot take you beyond the level of this is what is wrong with humanity. And, uh, and the point is that we have to surrender to God and declare that he's Lord of our lives and the law at this point becomes old news and at that point we are passed on to a new tutor. And that is the significance of what Paul's saying. I've died to the old tutor because he's got me to where I need him to get me to but now I need to pick up a new tutor. And do you know what the name of the new tutor is? It's the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus it is him who is the one who makes our lives different. I live in Christ now. I was dead to the law and now I live in Jesus. And that is the difference that I experienced. Remember, this is the question about what does it mean to surrender all? So Paul is explaining to his hearers that the law has, has a, a part to play in the journey, but it's important that we surrender to King Jesus. We don't go back to the law tutor. And this is where it gets quite real in our lives because actually, let's face it, we quite like going back to the law. Do you realise it? We're quite good because it's, it's actually a little bit like sometimes when we're messing things up or things are getting a bit tricky, we've got a real tendency to go back to being legalistic. And we want to do, oh no, but actually we are good people. We do good things. I mean, we, we know last week I was really kind to someone. And actually God's not going to be across from me. <laughs> and actually you can find yourself slipping back into this in all sorts of areas. And maybe when it's times when we've done things like gossiped about someone, and we think, oh, that wasn't really right. It didn't feel good in my spirit. In fact, the spirit was speaking to me, but actually, I'm going to go back to kind of a bit of a, the legal moment and realize that there are people far worse than me. They really are. They're terrible people, honestly. But nowhere in the scripture does that give you a defense, remember. That's what the old life would lead you to. We need to live in the new life, which is in Christ. So every time the, uh, the law tells us we're guilty, every time it tells us we have fallen short, the danger is, is that we can then feel like we're bad Christians. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like, oh, I've messed up? And that is when I feel that condemnation. I feel like, oh, I've tried before and it didn't work. And I've, this is so frustrating. I feel like, honestly, I'm going around the same thing over and over and over and over again. And we go back to this law for some affirmation to say, how do we get out of this mess? How do I find my way through? And you think, no, the law can't help you. <laughs> the law is dead. You are dead to the law. Tragically, a couple of weeks ago, we heard news of a really good friend of ours, Rebecca and, uh, and I, a good friend of ours, had, had passed away. We didn't know she was unwell. It was an eight-week illness. She died. We'd last had contact with her in May. So we hadn't, didn't know anything about her illness. Get the news. In fact, Indigo, who's my, my daughter, who's here, faced 
timed us or something and said, Mum, have you seen the news on, on Facebook? And we haven't. And that's like the shock happens. And the shock is in death, obviously, is that it is complete. There wasn't a moment to go back and speak to our friend and say all the things we'd love to have told her, all the things we'd love to have said. She was a, a radical woman living for Jesus. And, um, and it's like, there's nothing. I can't go back and find a way of connecting with her and to say goodbye. And that is how it works with us and the law, is that once you have gone to Jesus, the law is dead to you. You can't go back and have another negotiation, another chat. You can't go back and find out a little bit more because the law is powerless to help you living in Christ. The powerless to help you have strength. It can tell you what's wrong. It can make you feel bad. But it can't give you all the answers that you need. So don't return to the law for approval. Don't find your comfort in rules. Instead, here's the key part, is find comfort in the loving arms of Jesus. We live now with a tutor called grace. No longer under the law tutor. Now, verse 21, if it's on the screen. No? Not yet? No? We'll keep working on it, Mark. Um, Verse 21 hammers home the message. This is where having a Bible of your own really helps when the screen's not working. I've got the words in front of me, but you might want to look it up. We're looking at Galatians 2 and go to 21, verse 21, which is, uh, I've just jumped from 19 to 21. We're going to come back to 20 in a moment. And verse 21 hammers this message home. It says, For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let me say it again. If righteousness, making us right, making us good in terms of the law, could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And then Romans 8, I'm going to read it, so don't bother jumping to it yourselves at this point. Stay on the Galatians passage. Romans 8 describes the spirit who gives us life as set us free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, what wonderful words again. First 3 says this, For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. It is in through Christ that we find a way to live differently. So have we, have you surrendered to God? Because verse 20, where we're going to go back to, Galatians 2.20, is the verse that changed my life. It said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The old has gone, the new has gone, has come. So there we are. That's the law done with. Now we're going to go on to the good part, yes? The bit that helps us to live. We live because of Christ. And surrender. Surrender means that symbolically we have died. It means that we have died with Christ and no longer live. That's what we're saying from Galatians 2.20. It means that we, we went with him to the cross and that has given us life. And again, we have these scriptural contradictions almost. Life Death, life, death. Paul talks like this all the time, doesn't he? And it's important we get this in our heads. Actually, the significance of the death of Jesus Christ means that we have life in the Spirit. And at 20, this was critical for me. Because it felt for me that God had given me the, uh, the way forward. Because if I lived life knowing that I'm doing it for myself, and how could I make Simon Allen look good? Or how could I become the best I could be on my own? I knew it was going to be a struggle and a failure. And what revealed to me was that actually by dying and picking up this life in Christ, I knew that I had a hope 
and a joy. And I knew I had the Holy Spirit that would be with me to give me strength. And it is by faith in the Son of God that this new life is found. So faith at this point becomes critical. Faith becomes the ingredient that takes you from old life to new life. Not by works, but by faith in the Son of God. He has changed your story. He has changed your life if you put your trust in Jesus. And then Paul somehow makes this deal very complete. And these are the words that are so important if you are struggling or grappling with what does it mean to surrender to him. If you are struggling with what does it mean to deal with those things in your life that just get in the way all the time. The arguments, the selfishness, the frustrations. And these are the words. It's Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. And so often we miss this because of the kind of way our brains work to go back to some rules and regulations. But it's about Jesus loving us. First and foremost, he loves you. He loves us. And secondly, he was willing to give his life for you. He was willing to go to the cross. The innocent man was willing to go to the cross because we were guilty. And the contrast to the law is absolutely significant. We've moved from what was like a courtroom drama scene into a lounge. Suddenly we have Jesus, he's our comforter, he's our friend. He's the one who's going to sit with you when you're weeping. He's the one who's going to kind of come alongside you when you're feeling fearful. He's the one that's going to be alongside you when you don't know what to do and you need wisdom. It's a lounge, it's a place of friendship, it's got warmth to it, hasn't it? Can you imagine it? It's just like, it's just difference. The cold courtroom, the hard chairs, feeling a bit uncomfortable, what am I supposed to wear? I'm relaxed. In the, in the lounge with Jesus. It's like, I don't care. It doesn't matter how my appearance is. It doesn't matter if I'm feeling like I've had a good day or a bad day. I'm in the comforting arms of our Lord Jesus. We find a place of acceptance, of forgiveness, of joy, encouragement, and life in its fullness. So 2 Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone and the good news is here. And that was my answer. That was my answer at the age 20 to know what does it mean to surrender all. Could I trust someone who was going to put their loving arms around me? Yes, I could. Could I surrender to one who was all-powerful and had, an, had a solution for my mess? Could, yes, I could. I could put my trust in him. And here's some practical ways just to kind of ground it. And I'm going to close it in a short little bit. And I'm going to give an opportunity to respond to Jesus today. But I'm going to give you some very practical ways that it made a difference in my life. So here are just some real notes, almost note forms of things I learned in those early days. It matters what God says about me and not what others do. When you surrender, it means that his words are more important than the insults or the kind of careless words that people throw your way. Criticism doesn't define who I am. And I need to keep reminding myself of who God says I am. It's the kind of practical way. That's how we do it. We come to church, we go to read our Bible, we... We know that actually God's words are the most important words. There will always be people who say things about us that are either unfair, untrue, unjustified. But actually God's words are faithful and true. Next one is when I make kind of informed decisions. And as if you're in any sort of role of parenting or leadership or any other place in what you're going to be making decisions all the time, aren't you? And you're making informed decisions. You're making them as best you can. But you won't always get them right. There's always things you don't know, things that don't quite go to plan. But I, I, I learned through the surrender, I don't need to defend myself. 
because I'm surrendered to a God who knows me and loves me. I'm accountable to my leaders. I'm accountable to those to God. And if I make a wrong decision, I can apologize. I don't have to be defensive thinking this defines who I am because I'm loving, I'm trusting in the one who loves me and cares for me. Money. Next one. <laughs> Let's talk about money for a moment. Money doesn't determine my decisions about jobs or future. That was a decision I made very early on. I moved to Bristol and I took a pay cut to come to Bristol. And that was very much part of how I followed Jesus. That was how it works. It wasn't dependent on would I get more money by changing jobs. That was never part of the equation. My security is not based on my bank balance. Thankfully, that's what you need to know. After I moved into my rental property yesterday, I haven't got much left. Um, uh, but my, um, my security is not based upon my bank account balance. It's based upon the one who loves me and cares for me. I can tithe. And I got paid this weekend. That means I'll start tithing to my local church, which is City Church. And that'll be how I do it. And I'll give it with joy. Because I know that I'm surrendered to the one who loves me and cares for me. Oh, I can serve others. And it's not a weak thing. And sometimes it's hard. I don't know if it's more for guys than girls, probably. But the fact is, sometimes, especially when you're 20s, it looks a bit weak to be helping somebody else. Maybe it's only me in my 20s. But the fact was, when I was there, it was like, actually, I knew that, actually, because I'm, loving one, I'm following the one who's caring for me, actually, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about it. It's interesting, isn't it, that Justin Welby, when he spoke at the, uh, the Queen's funeral, he probably was speaking directly to 500 world leaders in the room at this point, but he speaks to us all, doesn't he, uh, at this point. Because he says, people of loving service are rare in any walk of life. Leaders of loving service are still rarer. Pride gets in the way an awful lot when it comes to service. And when you make yourselves vulnerable to God, when you surrender to him, that's when you become free. I can keep going. A couple more. I can spend. More, I, I learned. I can spend more time. I can spend time with the smelliest and dirtiest people. And I was working in a night shelter in Bedford at the time, and walking with people who were unpleasant in terms of smell. I remember Joe, my mate Joe. He would. Um, he'd have his trousers mostly like somewhere, somewhere that revealed some of his leg. It was usually pretty black underneath. His hair was wild. The cafes wouldn't allow him in. You walk down the street, people would dodge out the way of him. I remember walking one day, and God spoke to me really clearly. I'm walking with him. He's next to me here. And it's almost like my legs were doing my talking. And I was like almost edging out of the way because it felt, in, it just honestly, it was a state. And I felt like I've got to make a conscious decision. I'm surrendered to God. That means I'm going to stand next to him. That's how I'm going to live my life, is walking next to someone who doesn't look easy to be with. Or in your marriage. I'm jumping around here, and we got married, 25 years ago I got married, and in marriage, surrendering is a key element, isn't it? And uh, there's plenty I could say here about this. Um, what do you mean? What's that laugh? <laughs> Only my life, is it? Or yours as well? Um, but yes, here's a, here's a good example. When you're nice and, nice and warm in bed, and then your wife says, oh, I really would love a drink, and it's two floors downstairs, and you think it's cold downstairs, I'm thinking, I need to offer I need to offer to help. And actually, I'm going to offer. I'm going to choose to do it. And then I'm going to act on it. It's all very well offering, isn't it? Because you can offer and then it's like, oh, it kind of drifts and the moment passes. <laughs> I think I've done my good deed. I've offered. Actually, I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to walk downstairs. I'm going to make a drink and bring it up to her. And moments like that, you think, I'm no longer my, li- my life's no longer my own. I am trusting in the one who loves me and cares for me. And it's the best life in terms of following him. So surrenders at the heart of marriage. It's in, built into the vows of marriage. Uh, 
Do you know one of the things I find fascinating? I think I've got time to say this. One of the fascinating things about the vows about our wedding is that obviously there's, there's, there's more said about the fact when it talks about the vows, which talks about uh, for women to lay down their life, to, to submit to their husbands. There's not enough said, this guy's, there's not enough said about the fact that it calls men to lay down your lives as Christ laid down his life. I mean, unbelievable call upon us men. I mean, that's a remarkable shout out, isn't it? In terms of like how to live life differently is to live life with your spouse in a way that reflects Christ's ability to lay down his life. Just a little passing thought in the whole context of surrender. Um, and one more just to kind of, just to finish it. I think the other one is in terms of trusting for your own safety. And this was key for me. I mean, throughout my life, I've done a lot of work with rough sleepers, mental health issues. And I, I remember on many occasions trusting God for my protection, as in my life is no longer my own. Therefore, it's God's. He will protect me because his arms are around me. And there's a verse that says, uh, where the spirit of God goes, there is freedom. And there's other parts that said the spirit goes to the heights and to the depths, to the east and the west. God's spirit is. I'm trusting that God's going before me and that he's got my back. And if you are involved in any, I mean, I'm not saying take unreasonable risks, uh, obviously not. You tell someone where you're going and all those types of things. But ultimately, God decides my destiny and my life. He decides when my time is up. And actually, he is my protection. So there you are. Some journeys of surrender. And ultimately, at 20, I discovered that living for Christ was the best way to live. And the good news is I'm still on that journey. And I'm still pursuing what it means to follow him daily and to live in the grace of God. But what area is it for you? What is it today for you? What's your battleground area? What's your identity based? Is it knowing Jesus or is it knowing you've got a good amount of money in your bank account? Uh, one of my favorite bands is a, a band called U2. If you're younger, then like, yeah, you might not even know them. Do you know U2? Shannon, you know? Good. This is, this is a fantastic quote, which I don't know if you're going to see on the screen, but I'll read it to you. It's in a song called Surrender. It says, it's in the things I do and say, and if I want to live, I've got to die to myself someday. It's in the things I do and say, and if I want to live, I've got to die to myself someday. Well, today could be your day of, of dying to yourself and picking up this new life in Christ. It's a daily decision for all of us, but there's a moment when you do it for the first time. There's a moment when you surrender to him. There's a moment when you come back to him when you've been away, and there is a daily decision to follow him and to live life for him. He rescued you. He rescued me. He lifted us out of a miry, messy pit that was unbelievably terrible. You can't find security or safety in a messy pit. You can't stand up straight. He sits you and stands you on a solid rock that is the foundation of the word of God. And that is where you base your life. And that is how to live life well and safety. in safety. In the Old Testament, they used to make stone piles when God did something amazing. And I can imagine... There's moments when someone walks and trips over one and stubs their toe and they're like, oh, what was that stone doing there? And there are times in our lives where I think we need a few more stones around the place that suddenly go, what's that stone doing? Oh, yes, God rescued me. God did it. It's not my own works because the danger is we think we've got it all ourselves. Oh, we can do it in our own strength. Oh, actually, we're actually quite good at looking after ourselves and making ourselves feel quite good. In fact, I've forgotten what God used to do in my life. And actually... 
there are moments when you need to stub your toe and think, yes, God did it. It's not my strength. It's not my wisdom. It's not my abilities. It's God's. Okay, I'm going to invite the band up. And I want to lead us in a moment of a prayer, which will be an, a confession and a prayer to say, God, come into my life. It's good for us all to pray this. So I'm going to invite everyone to pray. And at the end, I will invite you to respond if you know that for you, this is your first time of saying, I want to follow Jesus. Or you think, I know I need to respond and I need to come back to him. I have been distant. I have been, I've been away from him. I have just lost my path. Maybe even like the Joe story. It's like you simply you veered off a little bit. And it's like, this has just got a little bit uncomfortable for me. I want to come back to the place that is the security of knowing Jesus. So will you stand with me? We're coming to Jesus who went to the cross for our shame. And it was our sin that condemned him. He overcame death to reveal that even death had no power over him. So would you pray after me? I'll read, I'll read a line, you just pray after, we'll all do it together. And this is a prayer saying, I want to surrender to God. Father God, Father God, I admit that I have nothing without you. I admit. I put my trust in Jesus Christ. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I surrender my whole life to you. I want to become more like Christ. Holy Spirit, help me. Amen. Amen. While you've got your eyes closed, I'm going to keep mine open, but you keep yours closed if you are able to. Just to give a moment to everyone in the room. That if you know that today is your day of coming to him and saying, yes, I'll put Jesus first in my life for the first time. I want you to respond in a moment. Or secondly, that you know that you've wandered away and you know you need to come back to him. This is your moment. I want you to raise your hand. We want to pray with you. I'm not going to bring out the front at this point. We'll, just, we'll pray for you. We'll give you some support and encouragement. But is there anyone today in either of those two categories who say, I want to come back to Jesus or I want to know him for the first time? Just raise your hand now. Thank you. Keep your hand up. That's, that's great. Well done. That's great. It's going to give us a moment. Is there anyone else today who says, I want to come back to Jesus or I want to know him for the first time? Just raise your hand so I know who I'm going to pray for. Fantastic. Father, I pray for those, the two people that have got their hands up. And I want to pray, God, for your power to be made known in their lives. That they would know the grace and the joy of finding their hope and their future and their lives in you. I want to pray that they would know the, the joy of being close to you, of sitting with you, of knowing your arms around them, of protection, of your goodness and kindness. We pray for the power of Jesus to be made known in their lives. Amen.